Greetings in the name of the Triune God. Welcome to the Rural Midwestern Pastor Podcast. My name is David Johnson, and I am blessed to pastor the rural congregation known as Samanach Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us as we explore together how the scriptures declare the good news that God's kingdom has come to us in Jesus. If you'd like more information on our rural congregation, please visit samanachbaptistchurch.org. That's S-O-M-O-N-A-U-K, baptistchurch.org. Thank you for listening. May grace, peace, and everything good be yours in King Jesus. Good morning. Welcome to the online gathering for Samanach Baptist Church for Sunday, June 5th, 2022. This is the day of Pentecost. That means we are 50 days out from Passover, Good Friday, Easter. And 50 days after that is when God the Father through the Son shared the Spirit abroad upon Jesus' disciples and the church was born. So this is a holy day to celebrate God's goodness in him now through the spirit coming down to his people thanks be to god we have been adopted by the spirit in the son as sons and daughters of the father as siblings of each other this pentecost sunday will be called to worship in a few moments by a reading from psalm 104 verses 24 to 35. A few announcements before we begin our online gathering. One, this coming Monday, after a Memorial Day break, we're resuming our study of Galatians. We meet in our fellowship hall here at SBC at 1 p.m. We'd love to welcome you to our midday Bible study. Also, this Wednesday, we have one more week to finalize some plans that we're doing together with Sandwich Church of the Nazarene as we seek to reach into our community, especially those Um, who are having questions about the faith. Um, So we're having one more kind of planning, finalizing session. We meet here at SBC for Table Talk, 6 p.m. this coming Wednesday. Bring some type of food. It can be sandwiches. It can be a side. It can be a salad uh, to share as we gather together for um, conversation. Also, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m., we gather together in person. Just a little bit of a kind of a preacher's secret here. What happens during our in-person gatherings, especially during the sermon portion, is quite a bit different than what we're able to do online. We have a lot more dialogue. We have a lot more Q&A. Obviously, we have singing together, and we celebrate communion together. So I'd love to welcome you if you're local and you do not have a church family, or if you're part of the SBC family, and you just haven't gotten back into the habit of gathering together for in-person, would love to welcome you, no questions asked, to our 10 a.m. gathering. This gathering is called to worship by a reading from Psalm 104. I'm going to read verses 24 to 35. O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide, creeping things innumerable are there, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan that 
you form to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray together, please. King Jesus, as you have ascended to the right hand of the Father, And through you, the Father gives us his spirit to call us very sons of God, to pour into our hearts the love of God that is the Holy Spirit. Give us, King Jesus, the perspective of heaven today. We think of the words of the psalmist as the triune God looks out upon the earth and sees not scarcity, but abundance. As we see there a God who sends forth his spirit, who renews the face of the ground, who rejoices in all that he creates. Give us that true perspective of heaven this day. May it be so according to the spirit that you give us. O God, who on this day taught the hearts of your faithful people, by sending to them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. And together we say, Amen. Our reading from the Gospels this morning comes, actually, I'm sorry, our reading from the Torah this morning comes from Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city 
and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is God's word. Let us pray. Beloved, let us build ourselves up on our most holy faith. And in the words of God's servant, the Apostle Paul, let us pray in the Holy Spirit. God of hope, you promise peace to all, both far and near. Holy Father, by your Spirit, would you spread abroad into our hearts the peace of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who came preaching peace is himself our peace. According to your Spirit, Lord, hear our prayer. You are the source of comfort and healing. We pray for ourselves and those dear to us. King Jesus, according to the Spirit, be our heavenly physician, the heavenly physician of our souls and bodies, the one who knows what truly ails us. We name to you what truly ails and troubles us according to your spirit. Hear our prayer. You revive the hearts of the humble. We pray for our community and for our neighbors. King Jesus, we, we think of those in our neighborhood. We think of those in our neighborhoods who are hurting, who are troubled. We've been humbled by this life. We believe that you desire them to have the life and the flourishing that you intended for them. We ask that you would use our church community to reach, to encourage, to bless, and to be and to share in the context of relationship, the good news of King Jesus. According to your spirit, Lord, hear our prayer. You send your spirit to give your church power to witness. We pray for the church in all places that we may be one. King Jesus, the word will teach us this morning that there's a certain kind of unity, a certain kind of oneness that you desire, and yet we are ensnared in traps 
We are ensnared with idols of power, with the idols that politicians present to us, with the idols that even this nation confronts us with. Send your spirit upon us that we may bear witness to King Jesus and in that faithful witness to King Jesus have the kind of unity you so desire. According to your spirit, Lord, hear our prayer. We offer you the burdens we carry in our hearts. According to your spirit, Lord, hear our prayer. God of convincing power, you pour out your spirit on all who call on you. Restore us with the breath of your holy presence that we may see the vision of your shalom and proclaim your good news to the world. Through Jesus who taught us, we pray for the coming of your reign. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our reading from the Gospels this Pentecost Sunday comes from John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 8, all the way to verse 23. John 14, starting in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and in fact, we'll do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them, 
are those who love me and those who love me will be loved by my father and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. This is the gospel of King Jesus. Let us pray. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God remains forever. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock, you are our redeemer. And all of us said together, amen. The text that I want us to pay attention to together today is that reading from the Old Testament we read a few moments ago, Genesis chapter 11, verses one to nine. And I kind of want to play and explore that text with you. And then I want us to see how that text kind of creates for us this revelation of what is wrong with us in our fallenness and then see how Pentecost is the answer to the trouble we get ourselves in. And I'd like to begin with this question, what is Pentecost for? What change is Pentecost inviting us to desire. The word Pentecost simply means 50th day. And in the Old Covenant context, it was an agricultural festival that by the time of the Second Temple had become this festival, this agricultural celebration of first fruits, where the first fruits of the grape harvest or other grain harvests would be brought together to celebrate God's goodness as we anticipate the harvest. Then because of where that landed on the calendar, it also became something associated with the giving of the law. So in the historical account of Pentecost, read Acts 2, God's people are gathered and they're scared because of what's happened to Jesus and because of that political turmoil that's happening. But they've gathered together as faithful Jews and God-fearing Gentiles to celebrate God's giving of the law. And then some events happen. Events happened very similarly to what happened when God, through Moses, gave the law to his people. Just like Moses ascended to be with God, Jesus, we learned last week, ascended to be our king and priest. And just as through Moses, God gave the law to his people, now, through Jesus, God gives to his people, the Spirit. He gives us his Spirit for a reason. He gives us his Spirit because of who he is and what he's like, but he also gives us his Spirit to address an ancient problem, and that ancient problem is described for us well in Genesis chapter 11. The story of Genesis chapter 11 actually begins with the end of chapter 10. So let me read this story for you. And I invite you to listen and to imaginatively consider what it is 
that's going on and how God addresses it. Genesis 10, verse 32, these are the families of Noah's sons, according to their genealogies in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So that's kind of this summary. Then the story continues. Now, a very important word in the, in the narrative of the Old Testament. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now, the prepositions there are different. The NRSV has, as they migrated from the east, probably a better understanding of what's being said there is as they migrated eastward. That's the narrator's way of kind of connecting this all the way back to the story of Eden, where as they are moving geographically and even experientially from the presence of God, now the effects of Eden are continuing to spread all over the earth. Verse three, and they said, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. When they had said, come, let us build for us a city and a tower with its top or literally its head in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, and this is critical, we will be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The earth is frightening to them. So they want to huddle together. They want to have this fear-based unity together. They want to do what they did in that M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Village. They want to pull away from God's good creation and in fear huddle together in their own gated community. Verse 5, how does the Lord respond? The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. They thought they could make their way to the heavens, and yet God still had to come down. Imagine this tower like a pyramid that has on the outer edge of this pyramid steps. It's probably 30 stories tall, nothing that in our standards that impressive, but it was this idea that they could make their way to God. But what does the narrator say? To see it, the Lord still had to come down. Verse six, and the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad from the face of the whole earth. Now, a couple of helpful observations to understand the message that God has baked into this well-known story. First, we are not reading a chronological account. We know this because chapter 10 says at least three different times that the people had different languages. Verse five in chapter 10, these are the descendants of Japheth in their lands with their own language by their families. 
in their nations. Something similar is said about the descendants of Ham in verse 20. And then in verse 31, the descendants of Shem. These are the Israelites, okay? They have their own language. So that kind of is giving us the chronology. And then the narrator pans back and says, let me tell you what's underneath this reality that there are different nations with different languages. So we aren't reading a chronological account. Secondly, we are reading an account that is shaped to parallel chapter four. When I was in Bible college taking Old Testament survey, we had to memorize which events were connected to which chapter in the book of Genesis. And I was always able to remember that the story of Cain and Abel is in Genesis chapter four, because how many letters are there in the name Cain? Four. How many letters are there in the name Abel? Four. This story in Genesis chapter 11, in many ways is like the story of Cain and Abel told on kind of a larger scale. The word or name Cain simply means acquired. And it's this idea then that connects, if you read the story of, four, of chapter four, the word name is mentioned about Abel, about Cain, about Seth, then his descendants being given a name. There's this connection between the violence that comes from acquiring power, acquiring strength, acquiring the ability to even do violence, the word Cain, and then the story here in Genesis chapter 11, this story of acquiring this story of, I want to make a name for myself. What do, what do wealthy real estate owners do? They put their name on towers. So there is this spirit of, of Cain, of wanting to be remembered, of wanting to have a name that is connected to all that's going on here in Babel. So we are not reading a theological of the chronological account. We are reading an account that is shaped in its language to parallel chapter four. And then finally, we are reading a structured account. If you look at this story, verses one to nine in chapter 11 in the Hebrew, this really becomes apparent. There's this parallel where the people of Babel do a thing, and then God responds. So if you look at verse one, all the people on earth had one language. And you look at verse nine, the languages of the whole earth end up separating everybody. In verse two, the people gather together. In verses eight and nine, the people are scattered. Are you starting to see the parallels? Verse three, the people say to each other and understand each other. And then in verse seven, the uh, people speak, but they don't understand each other. Okay, then in verse four, the people say, come now, let us do what? Make bricks and build a city and a tower. Then at the beginning of verse seven, God himself says, come now, let us confuse. And then in the very, very middle, you've got this phrase, and this is the middle of the whole story. Again, look at verse I'm having trouble finding it. Come now, let us go down. Verse five, 
the Lord came down. That is the center of the whole narrative. And that movement of God is the thing that we must recognize, not only on Pentecost, but every day of the Christian year. So, Pentecost, what is it for? The first answer to that question is, Pentecost addresses the same problem God addresses in Genesis chapter 1. What is the problem that God is addressing in Genesis chapter 11? First, disobedience. Again, look at verse 2. And they migrated from the east. They came upon a plain in the land of Shinar, that actually becomes modern-day Babylon, and settled there. Now, we pass over that at our peril if we don't also remember that this is disobedient to God's command. If you go back to Genesis 1, chapter 28, they are commanded to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. This is another reason why it's connected back to Cain. What was Cain's fruit of his sin? He was going to be a wanderer. In a certain sense here in chapter 11, God is still wanting his people to fill, to scatter, to wander. These people, the sin of Babel is not the building of a city, not even the making of bricks, but this idea that they are settled there. Notice again, verse four, let us build ourselves a city. God's not necessarily have a problem with that. Not even the tower is really a problem. They wanna make a name for themselves. That's even not necessarily a problem. In chapter 12, God's gonna make Abraham's name great. But this is the key. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. That's what they don't want. Why do they not want that? Because the world to them is a very, very frightening place. It's a very frightening world. So how do they respond to that fear? They respond to that fear by idolatry. They want a God that they can control. So what do they do? Through their own religious effort, they, they construct systems that in their minds allow them to reach to God. Where does that idolatry come from? I think that idolatry can be traced all the way back to Cain. Cain saw God having special regard for his brother. And how did he respond? He responded with violence. Why did he respond with violence? Because Cain believed, just like these people in Babel, that there is only so much divine regard to go around. They thought divine regard, divine grace, divine affirmation was a zero-sum game, and that somehow if he gets God's divine regard, then there's less for me. Beloved, Babel wants unity, but it's unity that's based in fear. And what Genesis 11 teaches us is that God works against unity that is rooted in fear. God graciously prevents us from sustaining a unity that is based upon fear. Beloved, there are churches. Beloved, there are churches in our area whose unity is based upon a common enemy, a common fear. 
And what the story of Babel tells us is that God will not allow that type of unity to sustain itself because ultimately that type of unity will always lead to violence. God works against unity that is rooted in fear, but secondly, he works for unity that is rooted in loyalty to him. So Babylon is the story of God working against unity that is based in fear, and he graciously scatters them because he wants the the world to be full of his image bearers. So how does God drive out fear so we can receive the unity that is rooted in loving loyalty to him? That's what Pentecost is designed to do, to chase away the fear so that we have a unity that doesn't draw us together by our common fears, but instead by our common loving loyalty to him. And this is what Pentecost proclaims. Pentecost proclaims the center of that story in Genesis 11, that God is a God who comes down. Just like God came down to us in the humanity of his son, now in the ministry and presence and gift of the Holy Spirit, God comes down to us. This is the beauty and the good news of the old covenant message. God never led his people to build ziggurats, towers like the Tower of Babel, or, or, or pyramids, thinking that, 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 that by our own religious effort, we could get ourselves to God. No, through the tabernacle, through the temple, that those were structured by this faith that God would descend to them. In the tabernacle narratives, God descends to the tabernacle. In the temple narratives, God descends to the temple. Why does he do that? He does that to the tabernacle, to the temple. He does that for us in Jesus. He does that for us in the Holy Spirit in order to drive out the orphan spirit that seized Cain and seized the people of Babel. This idea that God was distant, that God was far away, that God in turning toward Abel had somehow turned away from him. Or that God, because the world was very, very frightening, had turned away from them. So they had to build some temple in order to get closer to God and get his attention for them. It's an orphan spirit that seized Cain. It's the fear of the world that caused the people of Babel, the descendants of Shem, to feel an orphan spirit. But what God does in Genesis 11 and what God does in Acts 2 and what Jesus promises God will do in John 14 is to come and defeat the distant God theology that plagued Babel. In our gospel reading, Jesus tells us that he, in coming down to us, has made God visible. John 14, verse 8, Philip said to him, Show us the Father and we will be satisfied. That's kind of that orphan, Cain, Babel spirit. Jesus said to him, have I been, what's the preposition? With you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe? Believe what, Philip? 
that God in his very life and essence came down to us in Jesus. The Spirit reminds us later on that union with Jesus is union with God. Jesus says, if you love me and obey me, the entire triune God by the Spirit will come and make its home with us. Beloved, do you know that Pentecost does not teach that only the Spirit comes to dwell with us, but that the whole blessed Trinity comes to dwell with us. Verse 23 of John 14. Jesus answered him, those who love me will keep my word. How is that possible? That is possible by the very love of God in personal form, i.e. the Holy Spirit coming to be with us. And my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Parents, you're probably familiar with this notion that children will often run to the other parent if they don't get what they want from the other parent. Beloved, we can't do that with the Trinity. The Trinity is unified. The Trinity is one divine essence, three persons fully possessing that divine essence, three persons distinct from each other, but not separate from each other. Beloved, the sin of Cain and the rebellion of Babel is lovingly overwhelmed by the grace of Pentecost. Beloved, the good news of the God of Genesis 11, the God of Genesis 4, the God that Jesus reveals to us in John 14, is a God who's not leaning away from us. In the human flesh of his son, he leaned toward the world in loving sacrifice. Thomas Torrance says, grace from its very nature has only one direction it can take. Grace always flows down. Grace always flows down. Beloved, we forget this. And the God of Pentecost sends us his very breath in order to remind us that we are not orphans. We are sons and daughters. And God is with us, no matter how frightening the world becomes. Amen. Thanks be to God. Almighty God, on this day, you opened the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. Shed abroad this gift throughout SBC, throughout Samanac, Sandwich, and the surrounding communities, throughout the Route 34 corridor, throughout the nations, and throughout the world. By the preaching of the gospel, that it may reach to the ends of the earth, according to whose most true promise, the Holy Spirit came down from heaven lighting upon the disciples to teach them and to lead them into all truth, giving them and giving us boldness and fervent zeal, constantly to preach the gospel to our neighbors and to all the nations by which we have been brought out of darkness and error 
into the clear light and true knowledge of you and of your Son, Jesus Christ. O God, who on this day taught the hearts of your faithful people by sending them the light of your Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit to have a right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his holy comfort through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. And together we pray, come, Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining me for this online gathering, and I now invite you to receive our benediction. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. God bless you. May grace and peace be yours in King Jesus.